I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hi, welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. I am Saurabh Todi, and I have with me my colleague Pranav Satyanath, and we are going to discuss something—a very exciting, actually, development that has happened in the last few days. So it has been reported that the air forces of Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and Finland—they have signed like a MOU of sorts to kind of jointly operate their air force fleets. and i think this is you know very broadly assumed to be a response to concerns regarding their security that has been raised you know as a consequence of the russia ukraine war that is going on right now so without much ado i pranav like how significant is this development and is is this as significant as it is being you know like projected both i mean in the media in the commentary it is being seen as you know like europe trying to you know like coalesce into a common defense partnership i mean just like unpack for us like what has actually happened yeah firstly the declaration which was signed in uh, germany so it was signed in ramstein air force base which is one of the operations bases of nato and uh, ramstein is also one of the places where nato is heavily active so the members of the nordic air command uh, mm-hmm. as they call now uh the nordic air commanders are uh, jointly released what is called a declaration of intent and the declaration of intent states that they want to bring their nordic air forces together in order to strengthen air defense and they specifically use the word air defense uh instead of war fighting and so on and air defense can usually mean a lot of things right you can but they have specifically also said aircraft so uh air defense is a term to say that they will also be involved in offensive operations so it's quite significant in that way that you have these countries really wanting to create a mini nato force because as you know norway Denmark and Finland Norway and Denmark are already members of NATO while Finland is going to become a NATO a member of NATO very very soon Sweden has to wait a little longer because its uh, membership is currently being blocked by Turkey and that's mm-hmm. a conversation for another day <laughs> right but yeah. it is significant in a way because they are really creating the security threat perception that these countries see has really driven them to form a, a structure within already existing mechanism because they are members of nato they already have a joint air operations doctrine and despite that they have mm. they have decided to uh, go a step further and in that sense it's significant it is also not very significant because what they are saying is that they'll just combine their air operations they're not going to create a single unified air force because air forces are not simply jets that go to fight mm-hmm. your air force involves an entire fleet of aircraft that involves supporting ground operations right the ultimate goal is for your armed forces to perform as a one single machine mm-hmm. so 
having a one single air force, a joint air force in that sense, creates a lot of problems for individual doctrines and strategies. So here they're only talking about using, potentially using about combining all their fighter forces to about more than 200 aircraft and creating an air defense force that is potentially this uh, really thickened wall that any adversary by which we mostly mean Russia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that Russia would find difficult to uh, penetrate the Nordic and uh, Scandinavian airspace. Interesting. So, I mean, in a way, like, I think it shows that uh, countries of Europe, especially let's say Scandinavia, they are quite worried about, you know, the recent developments. And I mean, that's a given. And so, so they're trying to kind of, you know, like form up any kind of defense that they can at least to signal to Russia that, you know, like any kind of intervention is going to be costly. But but do you think this is like a way to kind of create something that is like a one step below a full scale NATO involvement? Like, for example, I mean, I think under Article 5 of NATO, I think if one country is attacked, you know, every everybody else is attacked. So the idea is that there will be a joint response. But if you are including countries like Sweden, which are not members of NATO and Finland, which who will become, but they're still not there yet, technically. So is this like a way kind of a, to kind of take advantage of the strength that NATO has and then combine that with kind of security concerns that, uh, let's say, Finland and Sweden have? So even if they're not part of NATO completely, having this architecture maybe reduces the risk of full-scale NATO involvement, but also like, scares away any misadventure that Russia might be thinking. Yes, let's first begin with the geography. Of course, you have smaller members of NATO who already share a border with Russia, right? Mm. Consider, for example, the fact that Poland and Poland, which is very, very close to Belarus, and you have all the other countries, which are Estonia, which also shares a border with Russia. But Finland is sort of the one that's on the other side, right? It's further north and it shares quite a long border with Russia. In that sense, if Russia launches an offensive in that area, one of the first lines of defenses that you want to have is near this region. So it's vital that the countries which might face an offense in this region have extremely good coordination, which is the reason why if we read the statements of the member of the Nordic members quite carefully, uh, this is what they say. And I'm quoting from the joint statement directly. The NATO uh, quote, the Nordic countries will pursue the following areas of action. One, integrated command and control, operations, planning, and execution. Flexible and resilient deployment of our air forces. Joint airspace surveillance. Joint education, training, and exercises. So what you can see here is that they're not really talking about a full-scale offensive doctrine. They're not talking about developing an offensive doctrine, mm-hmm. even though it leads to that, right? They really stress on they really stress on the implementation of what they call uh, establishing multi-domain operations. Mm-hmm. And it clearly shows that it's not really about declaring that they're going to prepare for all-out war, mm-hmm. but it is to ensure that they have that first line of defense. In that sense, they, it does not really say much about NATO. If Finland is, which is going to become a member, right? In any case, Finland is not going to withdraw its membership in the last minute. So mm. even if Russia launches an offensive, the first line of defense is Finland. So in that sense, Sweden is also off threat because if they want to enter NATO territory, at some point, these Russian forces might have to go very, very close to Swedish airspace. So in that sense, they're not really dragging Sweden, but it is in any case, uh, if Sweden does not become a member of NATO in the near term, it is at least a way of ensuring or it's an insurance policy for Sweden 
to make sure that it is involved in this other larger NATO mechanism in some way so that their defense is somewhat guaranteed. I mean, that's interesting. So, I mean, from, you know, the, the statement that you quoted, I mean, it seems like, yeah, I mean, it would be kind of odd, you know, like if they would have like an all out offensive doctrine, but it seems pretty comprehensive in terms of, you know, how they see at least their combined defense and would you say that, you know, this is like a statement of in- intent right now? And But, you know, first, like, can this be expanded into something, you know, more concrete, like an act, like, a, like a joint, like a joint command? Like, is it feasible? And then like, what all goes in making into that? And then how practical it is? I mean, and again, I think there is also concerns about, you know, nuclear sharing and also, like, what do you think are possibilities in that regard, at least? So that's quite interesting because if, if you look at the composition of the forces of three Nordic countries, Norway, Finland, and Denmark, they all possess similar aircraft. Norway operates F-16s and F-35s. Finland operates F-A-18 Hornets and F-35s. And Denmark also operates quite a large fleet of F-16s and uh, quite a small fleet of F-35s for now. Sweden here is the only outlier because it has exclusively developed its Saab range of fighters, which includes Gripen. Uh, the Gripen mm-hmm. is the latest range of fighters. And Gripen is also designed for specifically for the Swedish geography. You must have seen, who are familiar with aircraft, fighter aircraft especially, you must be familiar with that. Uh, the Gripen is uniquely capable of being rearmed on highways, and it, and it can take off and land from a highway, right? Oh, uh, so, yeah. yeah, so the Gripen is designed for a unique a Swedish operational requirement. But it would really make, wouldn't really make much of a technical difficulty in ensuring coordination. Now, of course, having integrated operations is very difficult because mm-hmm. how are you going to ensure that each of your air forces have enough supply? You have to consider logistics. You have to consider the transportation of your logistical support force. How are you going to, inter- how, how are you going to ensure that uh, you're, you're going to have enough munitions stockpile? Now, mm-hmm. these are small technicalities that they will eventually figure out. Now, These are complex issues, but it's not something that they can't figure out, right? They will eventually figure out. So at an operational level, it wouldn't be difficult for them to have a joint coordination, but it's not a command. We're really, when we talk about a command, we're really talking about integrating your army, navy, and the air force together. And because they already come under NATO, now NATO already has a joint force to fight and they have a joint doctrine to fight. Mm -hmm. So if and when Sweden becomes a part of NATO, it will automatically be integrated into this command structure where NATO will definitely, uh, where Sweden uh, and all these countries will definitely have a say. But what is interesting here is it is leading to some sort of a doctrine. It is called as the joint air defense concept. And mm-hmm. specifically, they call it air defense operations concept. And that's quite interesting because they stress on defense. And usually when we talk about air defense, we primarily mean to say ground-based SAMs and, mm-hmm. and you know, counter, inter, in, we talk about interceptors in the air. We're not really talking about joint strike fighters, right? Mm-hmm. So. What do they mean by air defense will really depend on how they define what air defense is and what are the limitations of these missions. And it's really very, very early for us to tell. The second part of your question is about nuclear sharing. When Sweden and Finland put up the membership, one of the arguments was, are they going to become, you know, countries to host nuclear weapons? Because Sweden especially has a very, very strong disarmament uh, sort of policy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Sweden did not support the nuclear ban treaty or TPNW, the culture of anti-nuclear movement in Sweden is quite strong. 
Sweden is also a country which had a nuclear program that gone as far as designing components for the nuclear warhead, but eventually gave it up because the mentality of the entire political system in Sweden changed. So none of the NATO countries, none of the Nordic countries mentioned here will actually have American nuclear weapons. There are, as of now, nuclear sharing within NATO is only among Belgium, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, and Turkey. Now, technically, the F-35 has been tested with the B-61. So it is theoretically possible that someday in the future, Finland might carry F-35s with B-61 nuclear bombs. Uh, Denmark might carry F-35s with B-61 nuclear bombs. But these are very theoretical assumptions. As of now, the statement of intent makes it clear among NATO, makes it clear that nuclear sharing will not really be expanded. So I don't see a problem there on the nuclear sharing side. Okay. Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. So would you say, I mean, this operationally, you know, it is, I guess, like possible, feasible. And I guess like as risk profile increases or changes, I think countries also will kind of change their perception. You know, it was not that popular idea in Sweden or Finland that, you know, that they will become part of NATO. But obviously events that have transpired over last uh, two years shows that, you know, and then now the support has, has skyrocketed. So, you know, like it shows that, you know, the kind of constraints that we think that we have, you know, they're very specific to the risk that uh, is at hand. So, you know, if I'm guessing that if there is a heightened risk where, you know, like there is a threat of uh, like higher intervention by Russia or like they feel more threatened, maybe countries like Sweden and Finland, they, they are more uh, acceptable to having like nuclear weapons kind of uh, like a base. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's obviously it's, it's hypothetical. So we'll see how, how that evolves. So I'm, I'm curious, I mean, regarding this, I mean, how do you see the kind of response of uh, the European nations? You know, I mean, we have Western Europe and then Eastern Europe, and then obviously like Scandinavia is, is one region as well. How are they kind of responding to the, the threat from Russia? I mean, which has heightened in the context of uh, Russia-Ukraine war. Do you see kind of any other changes in doctrines, in approaches, in kind of build up in their armed forces? I mean, we already have seen that, you know, Germany has, like, it, it did commit like 100 billion uh, euros for its defense, I think, last year. So, you know, do you see like like the steps that we, the kind of agreement that we have seen or like a intent that we see from Scandinavian countries do you see some sort of arrangement happening elsewhere or how are other countries responding? Yeah, thanks. But before I comment on that, let's still look at a historical perspective of how Finland and Sweden have responded. If you remember during the Cold War, there was this, I think the Finnish would find this a, a very nasty term, Finlandization. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Finlandization was a term that was used to define a buffer between the Warsaw Pact and the, and the NATO countries. And Finland was this buffer, right? So there was initially in 2014, there was this talk about Finlandization of Ukraine. And, and you know, Finland uh, really did not like this terminology. So, and over the years, Finland has moved away from that neutral position. It's not the Switzerland of, of Scandinavia anymore. Over the years, it has also developed close relationships with NATO. Even before joining NATO, Finland actually had a very cordial friendship with NATO. Yeah. And it was inevitable that, you know, look at the pace at which, at the speed at which both these 
countries respond, it's Sweden and Finland. Within two months of the Ukraine, the Russia-Ukraine war starting, they applied for membership. And this became almost a joke because Putin wanted to prevent the expansion of NATO. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the inevitable happened where you had created such a, such a malign threat environment that even these countries that had that had always sat on the fence about joining mm. NATO were ready to join NATO at all costs. Yeah. And about nuclear weapons, the disarmament community was extremely disappointed when both Sweden and Finland issued a statement that said, in this changing world of security, uh, nuclear weapons play a vital role in national defense. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they killed off all of their disarmament intentions that they had and this was extremely disappointing uh, for the disarmament movement, which is actually quite thriving in Europe, right? Yeah. So they have essentially moved away from the disarmament rhetoric and have accepted nuclear weapons as vital tools of national defense and more broadly geopolitics. Because one of the ways of undermining nuclear weapons is to say that they're absolutely useless. So <laughs> Sweden and Finland have done exactly the opposite, which is what I find extremely interesting. On the development side, I think that. NATO will be quite cautious in what lessons they take away from the Russia-Ukraine war. Mm -hmm. Because even from, for example, the commanders of the UK Air for the British Air Force, we have heard them say that uh, we should not draw the wrong lessons because the Russia-Ukraine war has taken place in a specific geography in a very specific context. Mm. Consider, for example, the scenarios that was usually envisioned that Russia will attack on the Baltic flank. Mm. Such an attack would have been very different from what was launched against Ukraine. And I think NATO will take quite a bit of time to study the right lessons to draw and the wrong lessons to throw away uh, and before making any vital decisions. As of now, they already have their commitments to buying F-35s, to strengthening their air defenses. And that will not change as an immediate response because that will simply mean that you're throwing a solution at a problem, but mm-hmm. you're not really solving the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I think NATO will move more cautiously with the way it assesses the entire situation. But I have an interesting scenario in my head about what will happen to a fifth generation fighter in, in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sweden has a very strong domestic aircraft industry. Yeah. Saab is the primary manufacturer. And if Saab introduces a stealth fighter, a fifth generation stealth fighter, would that become a competitor to F-35? We've already seen South Korea take uh, the fifth generation fighter route. Turkey unveiled its fifth generation fighter, which yeah. takes a large inspiration from the F-22. Hmm. So what I find interesting is how will aircraft sharing happen if Sweden develops its own aircraft between uh, these Nordic countries? For example, the German Leopard. The German Leopard is used mostly among NATO countries. They're used across Europe. Uh, Leopard 2 is a very popular tank across Europe. Britain is the only country in Europe which has its own tank, which is the Challenger 2, and they're developing the Challenger 3. So I'm also interested in how the air forces will develop uh, and the equipment that they think of using because having common equipment, having common uh, munitions is far more beneficial. And it would be interesting on how the Americans perceive this because they have really poured in trillion dollars into F-35 to make sure that this aircraft will be operational for at least 50 to even 100 years perhaps. So uh, uh, so I'm, I'm curious, I mean, that certainly makes sense that, you know, like if you have common equipment or if you have some sort of a, a, like a arrangement where there is increased familiarity, 
So, I mean, I, I'm guessing that if you see that, I mean, France operates, you know, its own uh, jets, you know, like Rafale, and then you have rest of the countries in, in Europe, I mean, in NATO, which use a lot of, you know, like uh, the US aircraft. So they still have figured out a way to kind of, you know, like live with the fact that not almost all the countries would have a similar profile of jets. I mean, obviously, the whole architecture is dominated by the U.S. arms industry, you know, I mean, almost everybody has, uh, has some or the other variant of... Uh, and now, I mean, it's, it's also actually quite interesting that a lot of the Eastern European countries, you know, who had like old Soviet equipment are also now because, I mean, like now now turning to buy a lot of U.S. equipment and in the context of the Russia-Ukraine war as well, I think U.S. is also giving a lot of like loans and all to to buy kind of aid to buy the U.S. defense equipment. So in a way like this, this actually helps to further kind of uh, have a common set of platforms that uh, countries in NATO and, and Europe and broadly, they operate. Yeah, that's right. Because NATO has an allied uh, doctrine for air and space operations. And this joint command and control is actually not defined by equipment, but is actually defined by the appointment of uh, coordinating officers, army officers, and who is going to be lead the Allied Air Command and Allied Air Defense Command and, and, and the liaising positions. So it is largely a human-driven effort rather than a technology-driven effort, mm-hmm. which is how it should be, right? Because yeah. ultimately, the decision-making to deploy forces, decision-making to share information and to make a judgment about what to do in a crisis scenario or a war scenario, ultimately left to the judgment of the person and not, you know, driven by equipment. So it's it will be human driven. It will largely be human driven. There will also be perhaps in about 20 years down the line, that perhaps there will be thought about 10 or 15 years down the line, perhaps there'll be thought about what we can, what the Nordic countries can do in terms of equipment sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the F-16 aircraft is quite old. And uh, Norway, for example, is going to phase these F-16s out over the coming years. So once the large fleet of F-16s are going to be phased out, what are they going to replace that with? That's a conversation that uh, within these countries they must have because the F-35, having about 60 F-35 aircraft is perhaps not going to be enough to satisfy the Air Force's needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, in that perspective, I'm quite interested to know how this joint, this intent to have a joint air defense integration mm. uh, will lead to choices of equipment. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's fair. I mean, I think the news is quite exciting. So, you know, it is generating a lot of, you know, discussion and kind of like, and, uh, you know, hypotheticals, I mean, both among the defense enthusiast experts and, you know, uh, government so it certainly is a fascinating development and but it's always you know uh, always good to you know like take a step back and reflect you know beyond the you know headlines what does you know this mean how crucial it is you know how how important of a step this is and how feasible of a step this is so thanks a lot pranav for being here and talking about a very fascinating development and uh, yeah so thank you listeners for listening and then we'll see you tomorrow yeah thanks thank you sir if you liked our show don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the ivm network you can tune into them on the ivm podcast app ivmpodcast.com 
or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.